and welcome to this episode of Menopause, the good, the bad and the downright sweaty. I'm Diane Danzibrink and as ever I am here with my lovely co-host, my scrumptious Sophie. Hey sweetie. Well, thank you. <laughs> We're having a bit of a giggle fit at the moment because um, we just... In, I'm up in Diane's room I spotted some Lotus Biscoff and said oh I made a Lotus Biscoff cheesecake before Christmas <laughs> and then Diane responded <laughs> oh I bought a Lotus no I bought a yeah I did I bought a Lotus cheesecock unfortunately <laughs> before Christmas which I absolutely didn't I was like ooh uh. I bought a Lotus Biscoff cheesecake and for anybody that doesn't know what a lotus biscoff is they're little biscuits and they're a little bit spicy aren't they mm, but so oh sweet. my goodness in a cheesecake they are absolutely scrumptious but it's taken sophie and i about five minutes to stop <laughs> crying <laughs> and giggling and what's really bizarre about that is i'm kind of glad now that when she got here this morning i said to her I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just cannot get my words out properly. <laughs> and now I feel really pleased that I actually preempted that I can't get my words out properly. <laughs> I just said to Diane that I'm just glad she wasn't in a restaurant ordering that. <laughs> I'll have a cheese coffee. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, la -da. Anyway, leading on actually, leading today on. we're going to be talking about menopause and sex because there's obviously been um quite a lot of press coverage um and articles in several newspapers there has saying that if you have the more sex you have the more you can delay menopause which what a total crock i just <laughs> i my first thing my first feeling when i read that was has a man written this <laughs> actually no no it's not the, the research was conducted by a woman it's actually a i think it's probably i don't think it's a just one person but i think the lead on it is actually um it's actually a student project um and the the sort of the cohort that they're looking at which is in the high 2000s is women who have been part of a much much bigger midlife Project. So basically women from 45 onwards um, in the States, which is still an ongoing project, but the statistics have actually been drawn from that. Um, and yeah, the basically the kind of, depending on which newspaper you picked up, so whether you picked up a tabloid or whether you picked up a different type of newspaper, um, depended on what the headlines looked like. Yes. Um, but essentially, the kind of the general theme was the more sex you're having, the more likely it is that you can stave off menopause, which, you know, I, I did quite a long radio interview about this um, during the week. And my kind of first reaction to it was, oh, here we go. Um, you know, sort of because it's got the word sex in it, all the newspapers have picked up on it. That was my first instinct. Um, second thing was, has anybody actually looked at, you know, kind of how good the research is? Um, third thing was, when I saw it, I thought, mm, the way that this research has been done is by asking people to fill in a survey. And, you know, how, how honest are people 
being in mm. that survey I saying well. whether they have sex once a week, once a fortnight, twice a week, every day. I don't know. Because there's so much pressure on women to be <clears throat> sexual beings yeah. and to be having sex all the time and, you know, so much social media and things. <clears throat> it's just, it's a lot more focused on women than, than men, I think. Yeah. So... It does make you think on this questionnaire, did, did women feel like they had to say that? Yeah, they did they having... feel they had to say they were having yeah. sex more often than they actually were? Um, then when I looked at the kind of the age of the cohort, um, the average age of the cohort was 45.8 years, so nearly 46. So we know statistically that most women in natural menopause are perimenopausal probably in their early to mid 40s so i would say vast majority of those women were already perimenopausal um were those perimenopausal symptoms which as we know can be varied you know any most lists that you look at say that we're looking at kind of potentially 32 plus symptoms of menopause so things like hot flushes and night sweats do you really want to be in close physical proximity, even with your favourite person? Um, when you're having hot flushes and night sweats, probably not. Do you want anyone to touch you when you're having a hot flush? No. Um, anxiety, low mood, um, maybe loss of body confidence, maybe loss of confidence full stop, reduced self-esteem, um, all those things. Um, if you're feeling any of those, then you're probably not really up for having lots and lots of sex because you're probably feeling too anxious. Um, vaginal and urinary symptoms. So if every time you, so if you're somebody who is in um, a relationship where you, where sex essentially means intercourse, um, essentially are you having a UTI or cystitis? after every time you have intercourse and if you are then how does that play out in your mind does that make you avoid sex make or you anxious before sex yeah um are you experiencing vaginal symptoms so if you're you know we use this term vaginal dryness but actually that's not completely descriptive because dryness is not necessarily the only symptom you can also have unusual discharge you can have a watery discharge um but also is there pain on intercourse um is there burning is there itching so that's without looking at life life the universe and everything like if a woman has endometriosis they could like when i had it i bled nine months out of 12 a mm -hmm. year doesn't give you much much room to have have sex. Mm -hmm. If it just you discounts if, anyone with a reprodu reproductive disorder. Exactly. If you have any kind of pelvic pain, um, I mean any kind of pelvic pain should be investigated. Pelvic pain or pain of any description is not normal. And I just want to bang my head off the wall with the amount of women that I see and speak to who have been told that you know kind of it's normal. For them to feel pain. No, it's not. Pelvic pain is absolutely not normal. And if you're finding it difficult to push to get some investigation, then I would say either see another doctor or take somebody along with you who is going to back you up in your consultation. Um, so that's kind of, so there's all that to take into account. 
And then there's the pressures of life. Then mm. there's the fact that a lot of sort of women in their 40s still have young children because they haven't had their children until later in life. Um, most of them are probably in the workplace too. Um, we've got no idea what those people's relationships were like um, prior to any menopause symptoms. And we all know that relationships have their ups and downs. Uh, do some of them have the added pressure of looking after elderly family members, carers, maybe yeah. relatives, etc.? Um, but I think, you know, kind of my overriding feelings were... A, that the reason that it's in the newspapers is because it's got the word sex in it. Um, Made a good headline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as I said to, you know, kind of I was um, on my local BBC station the other night. And as I said to um, the host there, the great thing about it is that it's got us talking about menopause and sex again. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, you know, sort of in a more um, reasoned way. Um, but it has got us talking about it, and menopause and sex are two of the two of the subjects that people find it difficult to talk about. So individually, people find it difficult to talk about menopause. They find it difficult to talk about sex. A lot of people find it incredibly difficult to talk to their partner, the person that they're actually having the sex with, mm-hmm. about sex. So if we can talk about it more openly, and even if it was really interesting on the radio the other night because it was an hours program. And there was not a single caller into the programme. There were lots and lots. There were lots of emails. There were lots of messages. But there was not somebody that wanted to come on and have the conversation. But what was really fascinating was just before she wound up, um, just before, so it was between 9 and 10 in the evening. So, you know, kind of a good time to be talking about this stuff. Um... But just before she wound up, she said that she'd had a message which she read out, um, which was from a gentleman who said that he was 80 years old and him and his wife had been listening in to the programme and with hindsight, they really wished that they had had the information that we'd shared in the programme. Oh, wow. Because they can really recognise how menopause had affected their intimate relationship throughout the years. And they really wished they'd have known what it was and what they could have done to, you know, kind of to support each other better. And I thought, A, how amazing that he took the time to send that in. Mm. But secondly, how sad. Yes, but they've basically been failed yeah. by not having that knowledge available. Failed by a lack of information, essentially, mm. which, you know, is going on all over the place now. Well, thankfully, in their case, it sounds like they're still together and yes. they've discussed it. But you do have quite a few people that have found that it's put a strain on their relationship if they've... Um, if they feel uncomfortable having intercourse and they don't want to anymore, that their partner takes it personally, but yet they find it difficult to have those conversations. And then you've got all of this pressure just being piled on top that, 
oh, to delay the menopause, you just need to have more and more sex. Mm. But it's nowhere near as straightforward as that. Well, it also, um, there's also no, you know, this is not definitive evidence in any way, shape or form. This is a single piece of research. It's quite an isolated study, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would would be advising anybody to take it with an enormous pinch of salt. Um, And my guess would be that we probably won't ever see another piece of research along these lines. And to be honest, if people are going to invest in research, then invest it in things like premature ovarian insufficiency, the you know kind of the results of like you and I have had having a surgical menopause Mm. invest it in looking at different treatments invest it in looking at other women's health issues rather than things that catch newspaper headlines essentially Mm. things that are going to make a bigger difference to women sort of women's health yeah absolutely um so I think potentially there are people that could feel more pressure um but then i think it's about how we how we think about sex generally is important so you know sort of there is you and i have done a podcast Mm -hmm. on you know kind of the the way that porn is so much more available and how young girls are trying to change their bodies so that they represent you know kind of these images that particularly young people are seeing um this kind of i don't know there seems to be this kind of overriding pressure that if you're not having sex then that's not normal and it's like actually it's a really really personal individual thing and you know what if a cup of tea and a nice book in the evening is what you want to do then that's absolutely fine and it's nobody else's bloody business anyway exactly it's, it's down to no two people are the same. It's what makes that couple, or even if it's a single single woman. Yeah. And the way that they kind of pleasure themselves or... Yeah, and it, it, there is also this thing of, you know, talking about single, you know, kind of single women, single men, you know, kind of whether or not they're masturbating. And it's like, well, if they're happy doing that, cool. Each to their own. If they're happy not, fine. As long as they're happy, that's the most important thing. Mm. If they're not doing it for a reason of physical discomfort because they can't, that's totally different. If they would like to be doing that or if you would like to be having some kind of sexual pleasure with your partner and you can't because of something that's stopping one or both of you, then that's something that should be... That, that should be looked at um, if that's what you want to do. Um, but that's about getting the right care. Um, and, you know, as we've said, it's a difficult thing to talk about amongst partners. So actually talking to a doctor about it, particularly if the doctor's embarrassed. Yes. So I've come across a lot of women who have said their doctor will refer to their vulva and vagina as they're down there. That's what I had that, oh, didn't I? Okay. Yeah, where, yeah. Where I went to the doctor and he said, yeah. oh, what you mean down there? And it's yeah. Like, yeah, I'm talking about my vulva. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let's, let's just call it what it is. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. I'm, But again, I think that also comes back to education. I think to be fair to doctors, I think if you don't... I think it's all very well giving 
um, giving doctors or any professional, you know, the sort of the basics of what it is they're studying, giving them the detail of what they're studying. But you, they also have to be comfortable talking to people. And of course, the best clinicians are those that are really comfortable talking to they just have a very they just have good interpersonal skills just approachable but if you're not good at doing it then we need to be actually helping those people to have those conversations because it it just seems you know I like a lot of this stuff it just seems completely nonsensical to me because people end up as you rightly said you know there's no doubt relationships do fall apart there is absolutely no doubt about it you know i i can't i've probably seen i don't know i've probably seen a dozen people in the last 12 months um 11 of them women one of them a man um who have all lost relationships due to menopausal symptoms uh, undiagnosed, unrecognised by both both partners. It's heartbreaking. Isn't it? Um, it is. It's really heartbreaking. Mm. It's a. It's one of the most. It's one of the most distressing parts of what I do, is working with people who, when you start to uncover for them, and you start to explain to them what they're going through, and they'll say things like. I wish I'd known this before. It might have saved my marriage, or I wish I'd known this before. Might have it just might have saved talking, my relationship. Because quite often it's the communication. It's it's the unsaid that can lead yeah. to this. But I do fear with these articles that it's a double-edged sword in some ways. So on the plus side, that it may have started conversations between mm. couples or amongst friends, like saying, "Well, actually, I find I find sex really uncomfortable. Any mm. sort of intimacy." Um, or the other end of the scale, it could in a relationship where they've maybe not been intimate make somebody say oh well look look at this article we should be having sex it will help you like put your moods sort your moods out yada yada mm. it's and i just think it's the way that they phrased it and quite some of the headlines weren't too bad but mm. a few of them there were a couple i, just, I did a massive eye roll really and just yeah. thought oh, here we go again because like i said to you um earlier that if a man had erectile dysfunction you wouldn't I don't, I don't I doubt you'd see in a newspaper oh you need to have more sex to prevent erectile dysfunction it's again kind of like sexualizing women and it also kind of reinforces that awful use it or lose it yeah you, you have to have phrase sex. that you know kind of a is what wrong b <laughs> um factually wrong um b is really derogatory and three takes absolutely no account of what so it's kind of it's sticking plaster Mm. it's kind of saying we'll do it anyway let's not bother finding out why it's uncomfortable why it's painful etc etc um but the other thing that just what you were saying about things like erectile dysfunction it you never really it's always all these things tend to be around women having sex and it's like actually there are a lot of guys out there who are struggling particularly once they get into their 40s and 50s. Because their testosterone levels start to decline, a bit like with women in natural menopause and their Yeah, it's, it's much slower, and generally it's, it's at a much slower rate and it's much gentler mm. than female sexual hormones change. So it's a, it's gradu- it's a gradual decline, essentially. Um, 
And for some men, you know, kind of, they will never experience the symptoms of that. But for others, they do. And like again, the hair loss, the yeah. growing, getting a beer belly as such. Mm. But also the idea of, you know, sort of not being able to get an erection, psychologically, that can actually stop a man from wanting to have physical contact because there is the fear of not being able to have intercourse and I think this is kind of part of the issue Mm -hmm. is that if you when when we talk about sex what most people think we're talking about is we're talking about intercourse exactly and it's so much more when actually you know kind of it might not be at all it might be about pleasurable touch it might be nothing to do with that but it's again it's all kind of about stereotypes and general perceptions everyone thinks of penetration yeah. and not looking outside all the other things and absolutely whatever sort of relationship you're in and you know kind of we know that for women you know kind of there is a huge psychological and emotional connection as far as any kind of sexual contact is concerned that you know kind of for a woman you know, sort of, she needs that stimulation. Um, so I think, you know, sort of, probably a lot of people miss out on a lot of pleasure that is not related to intercourse because of this kind of, this general stereotyping. But I think, I think men get very kind of overlooked as far as sexual dysfunction is concerned i think the um you know kind of you you'll occasionally hear about um you know erectile dysfunction and of course we all know that there's viagra blah 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 but i think the psychological effect of their body not performing in the way that it used to i think that's really overlooked Mm. and i whether it's whether it's somebody's experiencing vaginal problems whether it's somebody's experience erectile problems if that's in a heterosexual relationship um then that can drive a wedge so it's really easy because you could think that you they don't find you attractive or if a woman decides not to have any sort of sexual intimacy because it's causing her pain the man could take that personally and then they can suddenly think oh they don't love me anymore and when that's not the case Mm. at all and if they just had that conversation like I love you I find you attractive Mm. I really want to be intimate but Mm. I find it incredibly painful Mm. or every time we have any sort of intercourse I get a UTI or cystitis or guy says oh I I really worry that I can't get an erection or sustain an erection Mm. if you just have those chats which Mm. are let's let's face it they are awkward for some people especially if I think in older couples they tend to be less likely Mm. to have those Mm. conversations I think women in their 20s and 30s it tends to be more normal to have Mm. those sorts of of really honest chats to be honest I think it depends on individuals Mm. I think it depends on individuals I think some people are just more open in their relationships and more comfortable, more confident to talk about those things, um, whereas others just simply aren't. But unfortunately, what happens is it drives that wedge and then this kind of chasm opens um, and then you find that you have, you know, kind of people living more and more separate lives um, without having the conversation. And I mean, I, as I say, I have, you know, I've counselled um, I've counselled lots of women now 
who have said, now that I understand what's going on. And of course, the really sad thing about that is then there's actually the loss and grief to deal with Mm. around that because it was probably, and there's also quite often anger to deal with because of the lack of information. It's like, why wasn't I told that? Why wasn't he told that? Why did nobody ever teach us that? Why why was there no information available about that if it's going to happen to everybody? Because at least then you wouldn't think it's something wrong with you. You, you would just think, actually, I, I know about this. I've been told about this at some point. Mm. There's not something fundamentally wrong with my body. This mm. is... This, lots of people are kind of experiencing the same thing and there mm. is actually help out there so people would know where to go yeah. or how to have those conversations. Yeah, and Whereas, because it's kind the unspoken of... thing, people find it really hard. Absolutely. And the pain, you know, sort of that is caused when somebody recognises that essentially they have lost the love of their life because of a lack of information. You know, that is, that's, that's a tricky thing to support. I can see how that would make you absolutely that's, livid. That's a tricky thing to support because there are an awful lot of emotions that go along with that. And that's, I know, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure my friends, <laughs> I'm sure my family, probably there are times when they get sick and tired of me banging on about education and about how it's important that all boys and all girls you know, kind of whatever their sexuality, um, all boys and all girls get taught about this because they are all going to have people in their lives that are going to experience it. And it's why, you know, I'm, I am absolutely thrilled that it is going to be part of the, it's going to be part of the curriculum. But going back to the survey, you know, it's got you and I having this conversation again. Mm-hmm. Um, it has raised it. But one thing that did pop up on Twitter, which I thought, mm, that's a good point. Somebody had said, you know, we we take one step forward and this is almost two steps back because imagine walking into a male-dominated work environment today and you know somebody saying something like oh here you go girls you know should be having more sex to stay off the the men to stave off the menopause and she made a good point because you know kind of i'm sure somewhere that happened yeah well someone's having a hot flush oh you should have had more sex yeah exactly and yeah it is exactly so it kind of you know sort of depending on how the information is is used um that you know kind of potentially is is a step backwards but you know i hope there's enough of us out there now sharing factual evidence-based information um you know around sort of vaginal stuff you know jane's book is fantastic and she's got the superb poster that she's done which um has been translated into urdu so and it's also you know sort of we also have to take into account the cultural sensitivities around a around sex and definitely around menopause and sex Mm. um because i think there are an awful lot of women who carry on suffering in silence particularly around the vaginal symptoms i met a Um, woman who said to me that she just thought that sex was just painful Mm. that it was meant to be that way and Mm. that nobody was talking about it but everybody was finding it excruciating yeah. and I 
I kind of said, well, have you never discussed sex with your friend? And she said, that's not just, that's just not something we talk about. Yeah. Um, and I, that was just heartbreaking to hear because mm. it's like, no one should be in pain. Mm. If it hurts, stop. Don't mm. feel pressure to, mm. to continue. But another really good person to um, look at is Joe Devine. Je- Sam. Yeah, so yeah. Sa- Sam. Yeah. Sam Evans, isn't it? Yeah. Joe She's amazing and always has excellent information. So she's on Twitter, isn't she, and, and Instagram? And she writes some brilliant blogs on Joe Devine as yes, well about yeah. all aspects of sex. And Sam's always saying, you know, it's not just about penetration. There's all sorts of other things. And Sam has some brilliant blogs saying what some of the other things could be if you need any ideas. And reviews of certain <laughs> like, things that you can use, like dilators. Yeah, and absolutely. I think as well, if women... I know when I was especially in my 20s... Mm. Um, especially when my endometriosis was bad and like I said bleeding nine months out of a year yeah. I lied about the amount of time I was having sex when we mm. talk about it amongst friends because I was in, I was embarrassed I was ashamed yeah. um, and I exaggerated mm. and actually I think looking back if there'd been somebody there that was kind of having a similar issue they might have felt pretty like oh my god she's having sex lows what, yeah. what am I doing wrong yeah. so actually if, if people were just honest because it's nothing to be ashamed about no, and if all these conversations not. started happening then perhaps it would just make make people feel a bit more supportive. Yeah, and I think anything, you know, sort of any bit of information that can make somebody improve the quality of somebody's life, it's, you know, it's got to be the way forward, hasn't it? Yeah. I just hope... So we've had our little rant about that. I know. I, it, well, it did cause an uproar, didn't it? Especially on the, the Menopause Support Network, and I saw a lot about it on Instagram, and I, was just, I just agreed with everything, because I just thought... So many people saying like, "Oh, I now I now feel so much more pressure to be like this young, virile kind of sexual woman," mm. um, and we just don't we don't need any more pressure. There's already a lot out there, yeah, especially exactly. for younger women. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've spoken about you know the pressures of social media and all the different incoming information before, um, but yeah, you know, sort of it is. It's just it's about having it's about having the right information, isn't it? Relayed in the right way, and not in a yeah, exactly helpful information in the right way. You know, not blowing things up out of proportion. Um, you know, sort of and being very real. Mm. It's just about being, you know, kind of realistic about it, isn't it? And put not putting undue pressure on people. Um, as you say, you know, kind of there's enough pressure as it is, essentially. So, yeah, it was um, it was it was interesting and it's definitely caused some conversation. But I think everybody now knows what we think. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a change. <laughs> Never wants to hide our opinions. <laughs> I do sometimes have to filter my opinions. It'd be like beep, beep, beep. Well, people don't have to agree with them, lovely. <laughs> Um, anyway, if anyone would like to get in contact, our email address is hellomenopausepodcast at hotmail.com or you can find us on Instagram, menopausepodcasts. Yes. Um, or you have your lovely groups in Hitchin and I yeah, can't remember the, the other one. Menopause Club in Hitchin and Menopause Club Bigglesuede, which are both on Facebook. They're the fellas. And you can find me via menopausesupport.co.uk or my own website, which is dianedansibrink.com. And we'd love to hear your comments on what we've discussed today on our podcast feed, um, if you'd be happy to share them with us. Anyway, have a great week. And And we'll see you next time. Bye.